0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another cracking edition of the Matt Brown Show. This is the Secrets of Fail series, where we're shining a light on our ugly failures in business and all the amazing things that we learn from them. Uh, With us uh, on the line is none other than David Stern, the CEO of Experity Health. David, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you, Matt. Good to be here. Well, the privilege is really uh, all mine. Uh, David, for our um, viewers around the world and uh, our uh, audience around the world catching this on the uh, podcast, why don't you kick us off uh, with the uh, elevator pitch, give us a, a sense as to kind of, you know, like what are you guys up to there at Xperity Health, and then we'll get into your story of fail today.
1: Great. Exper- Xperity uh, provides uh, software to urgent care centers uh, throughout the United States. Uh, over half of the urgent care centers in, in the USA actually use uh, Xperity's uh, software or, or services.
0: Wow, so what's the problem that you guys actually solve?
1: So there are multiple problems that we solve because we've become more of an operating system uh, for urgent care centers. but the biggest problem we, we serve for, we solve for them is they need a single software for, for which patients can register online, they can be registered in the clinic. They can be; uh, their whole visit can be documented by the provider. The coding, which determines the reimbursement, is is automated, and then they can bill out the claims, receive payment, uh, survey their clients uh, to see what their experience was like. All of that's all of those issues or th- features that we provide. Which basically, uh, the the main problem there is, you know, we need software to do everything on, and we are the software they can do virtually everything they do in their operations.
0: Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that. So let's get into the meat and the potatoes. Uh, David, what is your story of fail today?
1: Well, uh, the, I was a, an urgent care physician in a small chain of urgent cares, six urgent cares in Illinois. And uh, we were served with a document from a federal prosecutor that we had been accused by one of our former employees of committing medical coding fraud and uh, i could i must tell you uh, my heart sunk when i saw this i saw pictures of uh, of uh, me on the front page of the local newspaper in, a, in an orange jumpsuit uh because the truth was i had no clue whether we were committing fraud or not because i in in the way the way the federal government works is if you're making a mistake it's fraud and i wasn't sure whether we're making a mistake or not because i wasn't really that interested in in coding, I was interested simply in uh, in practicing medicine and providing good care for our patients.
0: That's, uh, that's got to put the heebie-jeebies into you. How did that make you feel? I mean, someone came to me and was like, listen, you yeah, a prosecutor's letter. It's like a lawyer's letter is the one thing that will get you to pay attention.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. And this is not just any old lawyer. This was a federal prosecutor that was had put our our governor in prison and was famous for being the toughest federal prosecutor uh, in the whole country. So uh, we knew we had something to deal with here that could be very, very serious. I was not sleeping well at night. Uh, and uh, it, it just, my partners and I were, were really, really quite afraid that maybe we, maybe we were going to lose our business and lose what something we put over 10 years of our uh, blood sweat, and t- tears into.
0: Amazing. So let's get into the uh, lessons, David. What did you learn from this experience what where did you guys land A net us at the end
1: well in in the end we ended up with a software company <laughs> So, <laughs> but uh I'll, maybe i should just go through a little bit of the story of how we got to the software company the truth is i i, I couldn't sleep at night and so i i ended up start saying you know what if i'm gonna be across the table from with, from a federal prosecutor, I want to know this medical coding business better than the prosecutors I'm talking to. Uh, Because this this coding, basically, you have to take everything you do for a patient, turn it into codes, and that determines how you're paid. It's a very, very complicated process. And most physicians really don't have a clue how it works. They just make their best guesses. That's what we had been doing. Uh, So since I couldn't sleep at night, I just started studying coding. Uh, and I was studying coding till 1, 2 in the morning. One time, literally, I do remember, it was 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I was working really hard on simplifying the coding, and I said, whoa, wait a minute. We might be committing fraud, but it's kind of looking like it's the other way. It's not what they think it is. We're not actually defrauding the, the insurance companies and the, and the federal government out of out of money. We're defrauding ourselves. We're way under coding. Uh, and, I, you know, I did some quick math, and I said, well, this is – this is about 20% uh, of revenue that we're missing on every visit hmm. uh, on average. And uh, so I, I went to the expert who I was taking coding classes from, believe it or not. And she she said, well, you can't be right. I said, it can't be right. Uh, well, where am I wrong? Uh, because I, 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 I felt I, could, I had to be wrong because I knew everybody in the country was making this mistake. Every doctor that I knew was making this mistake. So she said, oh, I don't know. I don't know where you're wrong, but um, that can't be right. I went to... Literally over 10 coding experts, everyone had the same response. I can't tell you where you're wrong, but it can't be right. You know, when you talk to 10 experts and they can't tell you where you're wrong, but they, they don't like the result you're getting, I realized I was right. And so uh, that, that, uh, that whole process of realizing that, you know, we were really sitting in a good situation and we, there was a whole bunch of money to be had if we could just simply get our doctors to code correctly.
0: So basically your breakdown became your breakthrough.
1: That's right, exactly. Sounds like that's something you've you've uh, should almost trademark.
0: I love it. <laughs> yes, this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So so you you got into the code, you you saw that there was a 20% opportunity there on the table. Right. What did you do with that?
1: So I said, this is simple. I'll just train the doctors. Uh, that, now, if, you, if you've if you ever tried to train doctors, you'd be laughing at me right now. It wasn't simple. It was very hard. I I even t- took all of the doctors that we had, put them into a room for an entire day, and taught them coding. <clears throat> uh, I, they were not very interested in coding, to be honest. They improved a little bit for a few days, and they went right back to their old habits. Um, I came up with templates that would enable, facilitate them to just simply count certain items on the chart and they could easily code and they still didn't code right so uh finally I, I heard about this this thing called an electronic medical record and i was like oh oh this is obvious this could be computerized this could be automated i'm sure somebody's done it and i'm sure they've done it way better than i could ever do it <clears throat> well i was wrong for uh, i was wrong on the second part they hadn't done it very well in the first part most of the electronic medical records i looked at uh, did some level of coding. But when I looked at it, they also made all the, mis- the same mistakes that all these coders that I was talking to were making. They did not understand the algorithm and how it fit into our medical practice. So uh, after training the physicians and failing, after realizing there was no electronic medical record that would really work, and any that we did that we could retro-engineer to work, would actually be so inefficient we'd have to hire extra staff and it would we'd would lose all the money we were getting by putting it into place. So I told my partners, "Hey there's just no nobody's solved this problem yet. I'm not sure what we're going to do uh to solve it uh, because the, the me- medical records out there just don't work." My partner said to me, "Well, well David, why don't you we start a software company?" I'm like, "Start a software company? I'm a doctor. I don't know how to start a software company." He said, "I'm sure you can do this. This is this is this is something that's right down your alley. <laughs> and uh, it's great to have people around you that really believe in you because I would have never done it if he didn't do that. The part, my partners agreed uh, to, to allow me to invest after I put together a performer. I, d- I did start to believe that maybe I could do it. Put together a performer. I said, we'll make, in our six clinics, we'll make an additional million dollars with this software. I can have it out in four months. And this extra million dollars a year, I want that for three years for the company. If we invest a million dollars a year for three years, I think we'll be off and running. And so we, well, they, they agreed to that. Uh, we, we lost a million dollars the first year, lost a million the second year, and lost a million the third year. But remember, we made additional million dollars in the clinics from that software. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, after the third year, we, we were break even, and then paid off paid off all of our debt to be, the intercompany debt, same partners, so it wasn't a big deal, but paid that off in the next two years. Never took an outside venture, uh, never took any outside capital, no angel capital, no venture capital. We funded it ourselves and ran all the ways for 17 years without taking any outside capital.
0: That's amazing. What's uh, what's super amazing for me about that story is <laughs> like in my mind, if I, if you said to me, doctor's coding, <laughs> that's like the greatest <laughs> oxymoron in Confucius confused eh? you <laughs> say yes for sure ever. like a room full of doctors hammering out code it's bizarre yeah,
1: yeah. it was it was it was really hard now it's, that's a little confusing and I, I, it's medical code so for example if I sew up a laceration on somebody's hand uh, then I have to put a code to that so I'll get paid it's not it's not computer coding uh, okay. but But doctors are not interested in in putting numbers next to their their, their diagnoses and next to their uh, procedures. They just want to practice medicine. So we had to automate that. And we did automate it. And uh, basically, our initial product was this revolutionary thing. You might have heard of this, Matt, paper. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, Believe it or not, there were these paper templates. You would, the doctor would fill out the paper templates and would scan it to our to us and our servers. Initially, we had people behind the scenes, but quickly we got rid of the people behind the scenes. Our servers would then code the medical codes that were attached to the procedures, and we would, we would get it right so much, so much more correct than what the doctors could do themselves. They would get, on average, about $20 uh, additional revenue. And we we charged them two dollars, and they made twenty. It was a very very good, very good exchange for them. People said I should charge more, and I tried it a little bit, and it didn't sell. So I, I knew what the price point was: two bucks, two bucks a visit. Simple as that. Uh, we ran on that that model. We're still run, running on a variation of that model even today, although our our software is so much more sophisticated than what we had initially.
0: David, what is or if you could go back in time, what would you do differently to avoid that kind of failure?
1: Mm, that's a tricky one. Uh, coding was kind of a new thing. Medical coding was kind of a new thing back in, uh, in 99 when we first got served with that. And it had only been really going for about four years in a big way. Um, would I, if I would have taken government compliance more seriously... Maybe I could have figured this out many years sooner, um, and I, I think the biggest issue there is I didn't make the leap to to doing our own software quite as soon as I could. Have. We could have we could have had a head start on all the competition. Maybe we we ended up allowing a competitor to get a foothold by by allow, by being a couple years behind where we should have been. Uh, and secondly, I think I would have looked for a little more investment early on. Just so we could have gotten that much further ahead in the end, it worked out uh, I can't say I must say I, I, it couldn't have worked out any better than it did, but uh, I think that may be a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make that you don't quite have enough faith in yourself to really go for it and, and really uh, really make sure that you you don't allow competitors if you really if you've really discovered a completely unique niche which we had
0: mm. <laughs> David. What is your advice to other CEOs in terms of uh, their relationship with failure or the importance of failure in building a, a business to the kind of scale that you guys are at?
1: You know, people always say, you know, celebrate failure. <laughs> I don't know anybody that actually does celebrate when they fail. It, and and uh, we, we've worked hard with our leadership team now to say, okay, we failed. And people like I, people when they first come onto our leadership team, they're like, what are you? Why are you so? Why are you always pointing out that we failed? Like, because that's how we learn. If we don't recognize we failed, if we don't face the brutal facts, in in, in the words of Good to Great, if we don't face those brutal facts. Uh, we don't actually have an opportunity to learn. But it, I will say, the biggest breakthroughs in our company have always been the result of our biggest failures. And. I'm sure nobody really, really believes that. But here, the whole company is a result of a big failure to not pay attention to compliance and really focus on it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then uh, we, we uh, multiple times, I've seen major failures where I've lost a lot of sleep. And there's something about losing sleep that you're thinking about your business so intensely and how do you solve the problem. Those have frequently been the pivot points where our company has has gained uh, substantial value and substantial market share. I could think of one failure that in one year literally changed the value of my of our company. We were going to sell our company at one point. On signing day, we got another investigation for the federal government. I've only had two in my lifetime. Another one. We solved that while we were solving that that problem with the government, uh, we kept talking to the 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 person who who wanted to, the company that wanted to buy our company. And our company actually sold for a $100 million more one year later when we were through that second federal investigation. Now, the, the mistake I made that time was really, there was no mistake. For the last, for the many years before that, because of that initial investigation, I was super focused on compliance. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't make that same mistake again. But this failure, I, it's not really a failure, but I, this investigation by the federal government, responding to it very aggressively and having spent over over 15 years focusing on making sure we we, we could handle the next, next federal investigation really well, meant that we went through this investigation with flying colors, even though many of the auditors that looked at our charts said, you know what, I, I think you're going to be paying a lot of money here. When they initially looked, after they were done, they were like, oh, my goodness. The words of one auditor, you made a believer out of this. <laughs> so it's, it's so amazing funny. how these, but I, it really is true. If you, if you really focus on these bad problems that your company has and you solve them, that's the pivot point to success. And mm-hmm. it has been over and over again for our company.
0: Amazing, him. David, are there any tools or books or resources that you uh, recommend other CEOs you know use or reference in their journey?
1: Well, I already mentioned good to Great. I've read it more than ten times, almost every year, I read it one one more time. I will say it's funny how it is it based on much larger businesses, but it seems to apply to every business. Um, other books that i that I've really uh, really appreciated, the Great game of Business, uh, we've been uh, we've we, we, by uh, Jack Stack. Uh, our company has been recognized several times by The Great Game of Business as an all-star company, uh, and The Great Game of Business is a great book. Uh, the One Thing is another favorite book uh, that I have because it, it, it tells you, uh, one of the. I think it's chapter two, is multitasking is a lie. <laughs> and I uh, can't tell you, uh, whenever I get a new executive, they think they're going to sit in, in the executive meetings with their laptop open if it's in person or typing emails away if, it, if we're do, having a Zoom meeting. And the reality is then you call on that executive and they're like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. What what was that? And they're not focused. They're not really intensely involved. So I, I'm a, I have all of my executives that join the team, read the one thing. And then I say, um, we're not going to multitask during meetings and we don't want any of our staff to multitask. We want them focused because we want their 100 percent of their engagement so that we get 100 percent of their input.
0: Amazing, David! What an incredible story. Thank you for being vulnerable on the series uh, "Secrets of Fail" series, and uh, for being in the hot seats of the Matt Brown show. <laughs> uh, that definitely Thank you, Matt. that concludes your time today. Appreciate you for being here. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we will see you all again soon. Cheers for now. Thank you. Thank you.